The other big thing that I've been getting into is uh, a new cryptocurrency. Oh, is that right, Brian? Yeah, yeah. I have a cryptocurrency project. Mm. Um, you know, you know, you know about pops. Do you know a thing or two about pops? I know they're tart. Would you? Would you think? Do you think that? Okay. <laughs> is there a certain opinion on like your possession of pops and like how how hard your need to possess them is? Oh, yeah, well, you gotta I, have them. You gotta have them. Yeah, you gotta have them. Steph, right? Steph what, are, what are your opinions? Would you say that you've got to have your pops? Uh, I'm forgetting. Is this a serial reference? Now I'm. I might be dating myself here. Yeah, the, this this would be a reference to uh, corn pops specifically, which notably yeah. you've got to have. And which were also Joe Biden's best friend as a teenager. That's also true. (laughs) Now, now think about this. You know what the blockchain is, at least in some vague sense. Like we've all heard of the blockchain. Right. Right. Okay. So long lock. I don't know where it's going, but I (laughs) I can see the cliff. I can see the cliff. What if we hosted, what if we hosted a a cryptocurrency, not on the blockchain, Mm -hmm. which we know is very inefficient. Right. Right. And the more transactions happen, the more inefficient it becomes. Right. The carbon footprint is phenomenal with the traditional blockchain. Yeah. Yeah. Like greater than many countries. Right. So what if we had something that consumed very little energy? Ooh. Right. This is the pops chain. folks (laughs) okay i have the one and only cryptocurrency hosted on the pops chain whoa yeah yeah uh is it like is it corn pops sewn together in like the internet world it has nothing it's a cryptocurrency this has nothing to do with cereal how does the how does the pops chain work tell me more oh my god the pops chain works by you send me an email Uh uh-huh and say, I want this many Pops coins. That's what they're called. They're called Pops coins because uh-huh. they're on the Pops chain. Right. Because you got to have them. You got to. And you say how many Pops coins you want, and then I'll get back to you. And then I'll I'll send you an email saying, you got this many Pops coins. Mm-hmm. I'm keeping a ledger, by the way. There is a ledger, oh, right? That's, the, that's, that's the, whole, the Pops chain. That's the whole yes. point, right? Okay. So I have a ledger right here. Uh-huh. Oh, he's holding an actual paper. ledger. It's yeah. a little clipboard there. Uh huh. So very, very, very clean. There's there's almost no carbon being uh, expended at all. The right? only car- it's just an email. Yeah. The only carbon that's being expended is the carbon that is in the pencil that you are writing with. That's true. Or maybe what was used to make the paper. And I'm pretty sure this paper is older than I am. I kind of heard of fugue state. Yeah. But here's the thing. This sounds pretty attractive, right? It's it's got all the benefits of cryptocurrency, mainly that it's backed by nothing and it's on the computer without any of the negative assets, right? So imagine you want to do, um, let, let, let's say you want to go to your favorite dispensary mm. and let's say, let's say that they are part of the, the pops coin network. Let's Ooh. say they're true believers in pops coin. They have joined the pops coin universe, right? Right. You have some pops coin. So you tell them, Hey, I'm going to buy this, this, uh, nug, if you will, <laughs> for, uh, however many pops coin you would like for it. Let's say it's 40 pops coin. Right? Yeah. How much is that worth, you ask? Well, it's worth 40 pops coins. Exactly. I, I'm vibrating. I'm so angry. I'm vibrating. And there's four of me. So then both parties just have to email me. And you can just email the podcast, worst of all possible worlds at gmail.com. Oh my God. And say, hey, we're doing a transaction. And uh, when we see it, we'll get back to you. Right? It's going to take a little while. Like, I'm not, I'm not fucking, I'm not, I'm not glued to my computer. Right. I don't have notifications on for email. How old do you think I am? No, <laughs> but we'll get back to you. 
What do you think, Steph? Somewhat less complicated than whatever these uh, dispensaries these days are trying to do for uh, their uh, valued customer uh, discounts that they're offering people. See, there we go. Yeah. I've never wanted to murder Brian this early in an episode. <laughs> <laughs> so many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the first and only podcast where Brian Alford is dead to me. Oh, I'm the worst of all possible AJs. I'm the worst of all possible Joshes. And I'm the worst of all possible Brians. And joining us today to talk about a number of things, not just our IPO, initial Pops coin offering. Yes. But, uh, yes. <laughs> but also we are going to talk a lot more broadly about everybody's favorite hallucinogen, the, the devil's weed. Reefer. The wacky tobacco. Uh, yes. And specifically talking about it in the context of the 1937 motion picture Reefer Madness. And, you know, this is a 420 special. This episode is, if you're listening it to, on, to it on release day, today is 420. Happy 420 to those of you who celebrate. Yeah. yeah. Happy anniversary of the Columbine shooting. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just racking them up today. <laughs> Mama mia. Josh, uh, Josh I, I also think it was 36, the, uh, the movie, not 37. 30, oh. Well, actually, we don't know. 36 don't know. slash it, it was, 37. It was, somewhere, it was somewhere between 36 and 38. The car being driven in it is from 1936. Um, there is a set that they use that is reused in another one of the same producer's movies in 1938. Uh, and there's music that appears in a Three Stooges short in 1936, so it could be anywhere between those two. Good years. Brian has brought out a cork board. There's twine <laughs> in between movies. Car is just written with a giant question mark. I keep it separate from the Pops Coin Ledger most of the time. <laughs> so I figured that to talk about uh, not just this movie, but also everything that's happened specifically with cannabis policy and yeah. you know all of these things, because that's the sort of thing that we tend to track on this show is not just the narratives about a thing, but how they have impacted history and the future. Uh, we're bringing on a very special guest, a friend of mine, uh, Stefan Borst Sinsulo, who is an attorney at law in Long Beach. Uh, hello, Steph. Welcome to the show. Hi there. How are you doing? We should clarify Long Beach, California and not Long Beach, New York. Yeah. Oh, true. Which one is longer? That's a Which good beach? question. Ours might be trashier. We, uh, we, we used to be a Navy town, <laughs> so, uh, we built a giant breakwater so people who are from outside here could come and they're kind of surprised that we have like literally no waves and a trash <laughs> a beach full of trash. Well, and but, you uh, don't you don't get the big, beautiful port, the big, beautiful shipping container port in Long Beach, New York, either. That's a significant advantage of Long Beach, California. Yeah. And no Queen Mary. I, you guys can honestly have it at this point. We've been. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we might have finally sold Howard Hughes's plane boat thing used to be parked out there yeah. and now it's gone. I think we sold off the uh, there was a Soviet sub that was parked off there that got yeah, colonized. The, uh, scorpion, the scorpion. It got colonized mm -hmm. by uh, no joke by raccoons. And so they got huh. rid of that. <laughs> so Queen Mary is all that's left. And uh, ironically enough, to tie it back, it is it was the only place that would allow um, weed festivals in L.A. County for a long time because they were so desperate for money. Really? 
Really? Wow. That's yeah. interesting. Is that because of maritime law? Well, you got people taking really high dose pre-regulation edibles and then uh, wandering the halls and getting lost in the bowels of sure. the sushi ship. So, <laughs> yeah. so Steph, tell us a little bit about your history. Obviously, you have a lot of experience with cannabis law and so forth. So tell us a little bit about the history that you have with that. My name's Stefan. There's someone doing crazy shit outside my apartment right now. I live in Long Beach. I've lived here for last, since 2010 when I started law school. Short history there, I was just kind of living in a neighborhood that had a ton of dispensaries in it at the time. And then by the time I graduated law school and was looking for something to do, I worked uh, with the guy who's now the mayor of the city of Long Beach as we were regulating them oh, out wow. of existence. Yeah. <laughs> So it was weird being kind of like the undercover the undercover stoner working in City Hall while, you know, all the places I had patroned were getting zoned out. By the time I stopped working for the Democrats and was really burnt out of doing that, um, realized that there's kind of an opening in doing this for uh, solo law practice. And when I really didn't know what the hell I was doing for anything. Sure. So <laughs> I helped play a part in a uh, the political movement that got things re-legalized for like the third time. And uh <laughs> Did some applications for a couple of dispensaries and a lab and a couple other things all over, uh, mostly Long Beach, but Santa Ana as well. As that kind of got normalized, you know, so to speak, I uh, parlayed it into like a more traditional criminal defense thing, which is what I do now. Sure. So Reefer Madness then is the subject of today's episode. Or tell your children. So, Brian, I think you have some background information about that, right? Yes. So this movie was produced, as we said before, somewhere between 1936 and 1938. Um, Thelma White, who played May in this movie, said that it had been made by a religious group. And I mean, she was on set, so... There's probably something there, but no, it, it, it was made by what we called Poverty Row. These were the guys who made bottom of the barrel movies that didn't play at first run theaters. At this point in time, Hollywood was vertically integrated, right? Which meant that the big studios produced the films, distributed the films, and also owned most of the theaters that they were playing in, about 80%. But you had some kind of second run theaters. Second run wasn't really as much of a thing at this point. But uh, they just sort of did it illegally a lot of the time, and they would show these these cheaper movies. These movie theaters tended to be called Main Street theaters. Hmm. They usually were in sort of the poorer districts of a town. And so you had a bunch of producers who came up, like the producers of Reefer Madness, making movies specifically for those theaters and promoting the shit out of them. And that's what really was what mattered like they there was one like where they made a western about the killing of a famous outlaw and then brought his actual mummified corpse from theater to theater that is <laughs> a hell of a fuck? gimmick <laughs> and and a big thing that came up in the 1930s because the 1930s was being met with this marijuana panic were uh, marijuana panic movies so this may have had a religious group involved as we know in the 50s of course churches produced a lot of movies the blob was made by a religious film organization plan nine from outer space was famously funded by the beverly hills church that's right um so it's possible they had some religious investors but for the most part, all of these people in the credits have other movies that they worked on, and they were working on Poverty Row. I did actually recognize the name of one of the producers in there. Uh, the associate okay. producer, Sam Diegi. Uh, okay. He was the original founder of San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good way to get. I deserve that this. was a good way to get Brian back for the yeah. popped coin shit yeah. from earlier. Jesus Christ! You wore a little prospector hat. <laughs> um. <laughs> 
the other thing Shane Diego. The other thing that's worth noting about the context of uh, you know this movie being made is that this is just a few years after uh, the end of Prohibition, uh, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. at this point the government was focusing more and more of its attention on use of drugs, specifically because cannabis was heavily associated with Mexico. And we had a big wave of immigration from Mexico after 1910, because that's when the Mexican Revolution happened. It was very destabilizing time in Mexico. Right. Mm. The context of much of this initial panic around it had to do with xenophobia, you know, concerns about these Mexicans coming over the border. They're not sending their best. It's that thing, right? Just Uh all the way back then. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm -hmm. So, Steph, I'm curious to hear, uh, you know, obviously, reefer madness is something that pretty much everybody who has any affiliation with weed whatsoever has some connection to. Uh, And I'm curious to hear what your connection is with this movie. The first time I heard about it was my parents vaguely mentioning it. This would have been sometime in the early 2000s. And then hilariously, I think one of them ended up buying it in the discount bin at a at a Mm -hmm. no, it was a Hollywood video. The precursor. Okay. nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we got a VHS copy of it and watched it. Additionally, my mom is a historian of medicine, so it was kind of included oh. in her her, um, her kind of collection of uh, black and white bad PSAs, along with uh-huh. any, a lot of what it's right. about v, about VD. So you know, wouldn't say that <laughs> they they weren't doing it to ironically watch it, but it was one of those things that you know we had a, a kind of understood. It came with the understanding that this was uh, not to be taken too seriously. Yeah. So this movie was produced by George Hurlman, but then it got picked up by Dwayne Esper. He bought the movie off of Hurlman after it had been filmed. And Esper was uh, exactly that person. He produced drug panic movies and he produced what were called sexual hygiene pictures. Why were they called this? Why did they have this framing? Well, it was because of censorship. This was the age of the Hayes Code. Right. And you couldn't depict certain things in movies without... Uh, condemning them in some way. So these movies are being made on the edges of what you're allowed to do in terms of like obscenity law and everything. Right. And Dwayne Esper was was the champion of this. He made movies like the instructional 10 minute film, How to Undress in Front of Your Husband. Oh, hell yes, dude. <laughs> okay. Do you have any of the instructions? Do we have... Like, did you watch any of these? There's a movies? lot of instructions. Yeah, no, like there's there's a, a whole narrator. 10 minutes of wor- <laughs> worth. Yes. Um, is it is it like, and the next thing you need to do is remove the clasp so, from your bra. <laughs> is it like that kind well, of thing? So this has a lot of like, you know, how, how Reefer Madness has this framing device of like a PTA meeting and a principal is talking about this horrible tale. And, you know, he's going through the whole business at the beginning. Right. Um, how to undress in front of your husband <laughs> starts out as like, we're in the age of the candid camera. There are peeping toms sneaking around everywhere. Also, men, you know how beer brings us joy and cigarettes can slim us. Our mother-in-law, no matter how troublesome she is, will go to the ends of the earth for us. Even our children will eventually teach us. But wives, what are they doing anymore? Mm. They're definitely not being sexy for us, are they? <laughs> anyway, here's a horrible peeping Tom looking in on two women. The first woman being John Barrymore's wife. Whoa. And the second Whoa. being an old vaudeville star who was like a big suffragist and everything. It's like one of her last movies. And so John Barrymore's wife is uh, dressing very slowly and demurely as she's coming home. And then this old vaudeville like stripper 
you know, burlesque actress comes in, kicks off her shoes, sort of. That's awesome. Like tears her clothes off of her body, you know, rubs her nose with her hand, things like that. It's great. It's it's. <laughs> It's a real classic of the form. That one was more on the instructional side, but usually these were movies about people fucking and getting VD. Right. And that's uh, the sort the of most... stuff that you grew up with, I guess, Steph, right? Yeah. Like, Yeah. The the one that came to mind specifically, it was a post-war one where a, um Italian shopkeeper named Giuseppe uh, had accidentally mm-hmm. become the nexus of a outbreak of, I think, syphilis. Um, and, Typical Italian behavior. Oh, of course. And they, damn it, Giuseppe. And he talked. Oh like, no, I lost the syphilis. <laughs> honestly, that's exactly how he talked too. So, oh they, hell they, yeah, yeah. They luckily there was a nice proud wasp man to tell Mr. Giuseppe that he needed to get a treatment, and then after that, you know, it would just be between you and him. So, oh, and also his wife needed to come in and get the shot because. Were, was this uh, movie also replete with like lingering shots of fucking like women's thighs and shit like that? If I remember correctly, it was something. It was very similar to uh, to Reaper Madness in that they they did not have a lot of money, so it was sure, mainly yeah, sure. shot within the context of his market that probably was you know reused four or five times for different movies. Right. And I just want to be yeah. like super clear: when you say Wasp Man, you mean a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant and not a giant man in a bumblebee outfit, right? <laughs> no, of course, no. This was somebody who he, he looked and sounded like George Lincoln Rockwell. <laughs> Get away from me, Rockwell. I do not like your stinger. <laughs> the biggest movie at this era from the 30s to 40s, uh, the one that did the best business was a movie called Mom and Dad that was about teenage pregnancy that uh, oh, was mostly shown as an excuse to show a live birth on film. Whoa. In some of the endings, although they would they distributed these things with different titles and in some cases different scenes. And so Mom and Dad, in some markets, they showed... A cesarean section and in some markets it just ended with her like having a stillbirth and getting syphilis or whatever the, the usual stuff which just showed like close-ups of people's cuticles turning black or whatever sure. um, <laughs> <laughs> so Dwayne Esper was originally a carny right in the late 19th century that he fought makes World so War much I. sense yeah mm. and he came back and he started doing like little silent nudie films you know like the kind of stuff you'd crank a little Nickelodeon and I don't mean that as a euphemism um at one of those little tiny movie houses and you'd just see like a naked lady stand there for a couple seconds i mean i love to crack uh, my nickelodeon but yeah there we god damn it the naked lady stands there for a few seconds and then just uh gives you finger guns and then it's over <laughs> essentially yeah um so then in 1934 he produced maniac or sex maniac which is one of those canonized worst films of all time alongside Plan 9 from Outer Space or whatever. Sure. He produced uh, Narcotic, Sex Madness, at the same time he, he put out Reefer Madness. Uh, one of his famous ones was the movie Marijuana, spelled with an H. There was another movie called Marijuana, spelled with a J. There was the Marijuana Menace, uh, Assassin of Youth, The Devil's Weed. Tons of these movies about marijuana coming out in the mid to late 1930s. It's also mm. worth noting, by the way, that the term marijuana is sort of like a bastardized Spanish word that doesn't really mean anything. But mm-hmm. it is it was basically coined as a way of making cannabis sound like something that is more scary because hemp was grown for a very long time in the yeah. United States. In fact, it's like a, a pillar of the American economy. It was very the early third on. biggest cash crop behind uh, cotton and tobacco God and damn. rebranding it as marijuana was a way to get people basically freaked out. And Steph, I'm sure this is yeah. something that you can speak to as well. Yeah. Uh, well, if you have to bring it even further back to that, you had the patent medicine era 
So when they were throwing everything mm, from opium, mm-hmm. alcohol, cannabis, all into these magic elixirs and then selling it to, you know, the middle class housewives as a cure for their distemper or whatever. And cannabis was actually known as one of the more it was known as kind of like a frankly, like a children's or an old lady's medicine that was hmm. easier on the stomach than, say, opiates. Is heroin got you down? Here's some cannabis for you. <laughs> yeah, it would be like cannabis or lithium. I know that lithium was another big one oh, for, absolutely. for kids and older women. They put it in 7-Up for a while. Exactly, yeah. Some of the first drug regulation period was decades before Reefer Madness came out. I think the first one, uh, 1906 or so, Congress passes this Pure Food and Drug Act that says, like, Hey, if you're going to sell something, you actually have to have like accurate labeling of what's in it. You know, it was only a couple years later that California became the first state to ban it using it, the the spelled with an H, you know, to make it sound extra, right. Mexi- extra you know, foreign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, even then, it was mainly just outlawed with the idea of it still being having that huge medicinal cutout so that you can include it in all yeah. these medicines. But if right. you were smoking it and the only people who were known to be doing that at the time were Mexican immigrants or, you know, people who were of Mexican descent who had been uh, legally disenfranchised from California. That was their way of, you know, kicking them out without actually saying no Mexicans allowed. That, of course, also led to a lot of the mythology around the supposed, you know, effects of cannabis, including the alleged reefer madness. And I think this really actually leads very nicely then into talking about the beginning of the movie here, because the beginning of reefer madness is this long ass fucking text crawl it's so long <laughs> it's star wars long actually yeah. i think i think it times out to almost exactly the length of a star wars prologue and i like that there are a couple fake outs where you get the ellipsis and you're like okay yeah. the text is over and then another paragraph starts rolling up so much like star wars it begins with uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and mm-hmm. it continues to talk about uh the effects of marijuana uh including shocking violence and incurable mm-hmm. insanity. And uh, something mm-hmm. simply must be done about this. In picturing its soul-destroying effects, no attempt was made to equivocate, <laughs> except for this title scroll <laughs> and everything that follows. Most of these effects and the, the gore file uh, and everything like that was a recycled campaign from cocaine uh, associated mm-hmm. with black dock workers in New Orleans and then opium with Chinese immigrants working on railroads. So it literally is just the same, the same scare tactics and the same stories recycled and just, you know, inserted with the new drug and the new target population. Yep. And it's worth noting also that these are talking points that are coming from the federal government. They had this guy who was a real fucking pervert named Harry Anslinger. Everyone's favorite Swiss German American. (laughs) And uh, he was responsible for the propagation of a lot of these myths. uh, And he had a lot of allies who were distributing these narratives on his behalf as well, including one William Randolph Hearst. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he this hated stuff. him first. <laughs> so this stuff just going up and down and all around. And these narratives here and this sort of way of propagandizing, it's worth noting that much in the way that similar narratives that we see about a lot of other things, they don't just like rise in and of themselves. There are people who are driving these talking points and using different channels to distribute them. So after the crawl, we open on just a shit ton of newspapers being thrown in our faces. (laughs) Yeah. So many amazing headlines we got here. Police raid marijuana flat. Uh, Where can I rent this marijuana flat? Uh, I want to live there, please. Um, It is in Brooklyn, as they they tell later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's true. That's true. It's right down this. I can actually see it from my house. It's actual like. 
There's like a field of marijuana just being grown behind a tenement. It's pretty amazing. My favorite headline that they throw at us. School parent organizations join dope fight. As if Mrs. Williams is just bodying Mr. Tim's behind the gym. This fight is dope. There's this guy, and he's going to be kind of like the guy who frames this up for us. Yeah, it's really weird when he shows up in the story. You're like, yeah. oh, okay. But this, this is, is a character. This is, yeah, but he's like, sta- imagine him standing there and be like, and then that's when I showed up. And then he starts yeah. doing the voices <laughs> yeah. of himself in the story. Like, imagine this PTA meeting of just these baffled parents having him be like, no, I don't want to try the marijuana drug. And it's like, you must try the marijuana drug. It's- but this is Dr. Carroll, and he is letting us know that education is going to be the key because the federal government has been slow walking legislation that would actually prohibit cannabis on a federal level. And mm-hmm. so the way to solve this problem is through increased education. And what he's doing is doing a very real thing at the time, which is like people would go from I mean, he's a local in the movie, but right. like people would go from town to town, get a classroom, put up flyers, say, hey, come in. Maybe show something from, you know, some some newsreel footage or something like that and tell people about the marijuana menace that's coming to terrify their white children. Right. Mm. Because that is a 100 percent white audience at the, st- at the, at the school board meeting. their knickerbockers below, below the, the knees. Knee Absolutely. Jokes from Captain Billy's whiz bang. One of the stupidest parts about American governance that you have to remember, uh, because it comes both into play in understanding reefer madness as well as modern stuff, is feder- the concept of federalism. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, not to mm-hmm. jump too far here, but remember when and later on when Dr. Carroll is having a discussion with a nice member of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, they mentioned interstate commerce and the fact that it's growing in every mm-hmm. single state in the nation. And while that might seem like it's more to just kind of play up the scary t- idea that, you know, weed in North Dakota is already there, that might have some reality with respect to hemp, but nobody really cares at the time. What it more is coming to effect is that the federal government and this time its powers in terms of being able to regulate commerce is limited very strictly according to you know the the supreme court at the time to things that were interstate in other words right yeah. things that go mm, between right. you know from california to arizona from new york to you know michigan yada yada if an activity were to just take place inside of a state then the state government is the only thing that can really regulate that right sure the end of prohibition is an, is important thing to understand here as well, because that was all done through massive educational and religious campaigns that led up to a full-fledged constitutional amendment and federal legislation that would go to enforce that constitutional amendment. That, it, since it had been overturned, you know, and the Roosevelt administration made it a big thing to overdo it or to undo it using that new coalition of immigrant Democrats, like, you know, the Irish and the Italians voting together. Right. They now mm-hmm. needed, you know, the forces of pro-law enforcement and Protestant kind of sensibilities they needed to start up a brand new educational campaign from the roots in order to make a marijuana this new menace. The way to do that either was going to be doing a 50 state campaign to get it passed, made illegal in every single state, even if it did barely existed in that state, or to convince the courts and people that there was actually a shadowy network of people trafficking it through the different states. And to some degree, mm-hmm. that it could have existed at the time, but that's up to debate. Right. Yeah, but yeah, they, it's it's great how they emphasize that where they're like, you know, a woman could be walking past you with heroin in her heels, right? Like, yeah, or the barrels of, of drugs being brought in through like olive oil shipments. Olive oil shipments. The Italians <laughs> are bringing in the heroin. So funny, yeah. funny story. The reason they had to to start making that kind of weird digression into opium was because arguably the trafficking networks for cannabis didn't exist at that time. It was incredibly oh, yeah. localized for just uh, Mexican border states. 
and maybe New York to a degree with the Jazz Age. But and Henry Anslinger knew this. The trafficking networks for opium and alcohol, what had been alcohol, were really well established. And he knew this because he actually was helping facilitate them. By, um, yeah, he he was involved. There's a great book out there called The Politics of Heroin. And Anslinger, while making marijuana kind of a menace and heroin, you know, ostensibly kind of regulating it, he was possibly even personally benefiting by running, helping intelligence, U.S. intelligence networks run heroin from <laughs> from Italy and from the Mediterranean with Turkey into the United States. Wow. So he was yeah. playing both sides. He really was Swiss. Oh, he was terrible. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, what's fascinating about these PSA movies about warning you about like the dangers of things is I'm I was sitting here watching that intro section with the barrels of olive oil and the woman's heels. And I'm like, well, those are two really good ideas for smuggling. I think I'm going to try that. Yeah. You know, it's like stuff you would never think of on your own, but all of a sudden they release it. It's like, yeah, you know, that's actually a pretty good idea. There's no so, way they can check the heels. It's, it's so funny because, yeah, that's that's exactly what they do, Stefan, is like they, they, they're like, here's what weed is. Anyway, here's all the heroin coming into mm-hmm. our, our docks and everything, but weed is more dangerous than heroin is. It's so right. much fucking worse than fucking <laughs> literal heroin. Yeah. And it was really funny that they focused on that initial thing on a bust in New York. And I think that was intentional because, mm-hmm. forgive me if I'm wrong here, but in the 30s, your mayor was uh, LaGuardia, right? Yeah. <laughs> LaGuardia is one of the only oh, heroes Fifi. of this time because he used the power of the New York City Health Department to publish a really big report saying, eh, weed's not that big of a deal. Really? And so the feds hated his ass. Yeah. <laughs> that is not in the musical about him. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wait, what is the musical about LaGuardia? Fiorello, the Pulitzer Prize winning musical from 1959 starring Tom Bosley in the title role, written by Bach and Harnick, who later went on to make Fiddler on the Roof and She Loves Me. AJ, yeah, Fiorello, yeah. that musical. Come on. Bri- Brian's eyeballs rolled into the back of his head and he started floating mere inches above his chair, possessed by a force hitherto unknown. Um, It's actually what's backing the pops chain. <laughs> Hey, this is Brian. You are listening to a preview of a premium episode, so if you want to listen to the whole thing, come on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash worst of all, yada, yada, yada. You will be able to help us continue making this podcast while also listening to more of it as it's made. And you can join up with our newest patrons, Anthony Girardi, Matt, Alex, and Sixbar, as well as our stalwarts, Tony Diddy, Timmy Sexton, Hannah White, Nikola Donov, Katie Wall, John John Johnson, Fake Bitch Hard, Dara Swisher, Alexa Valentine, Ashley Stoneman, and Silverbear909. And if you subscribe on our Patreon, you too can make me say your name or whatever you type down into the name box within reason. Anyway, hope to see you around. <laughs>